Hey, Bible, y'all. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Bible Y'all podcast for Wednesday, January 17th. Happy Judgment Day, which, don't worry, today does not celebrate what you're thinking. Nor does it celebrate the 1991 blockbuster Terminator 2 Judgment Day. I wish it did, though. That movie is awesome. It's easy the best of that series. And you remember when old Jennifer Lawrence tried to claim that she was the first real female action lead? Well, how about Sarah Connor? I'm pretty sure Sarah'd whip little Katniss Everdeen like she stole something all up and down District 12, and Pete'd just stand there shaking like a teacup Yorkie. Anyway, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah. What this holiday does celebrate is basically being your own god. The idea is, you want to see how you measure up to the standards of your god? Well, look in the mirror. There's your judgment. Is the moral code that the big G god stuck us with getting in the way of you living your best life now? Well, you are your own god. Make your own morality. Bible says don't steal. Take what you want. God says thou shalt not kill. No, line some fools up. Big G God says Jews are his chosen people. Little G's, start there. Okay, that got kind of dark. But you see how eliminating all objective external moral standards inevitably ends up in some pretty dark places. And today is also Ditch New Year's Resolutions Day, which most folks did last week. But a lot of y'all are here because you made a resolution to read the Bible this year, and now the beast system's trying to derail that too. Later on this week, we got World Religion Day, which celebrates the idea that all religions are basically the same, which is kind of true, I guess. They only differ on God, creation, sin, morality, heaven, hell, and salvation. And are y'all sensing a pattern yet? Not only do the worldly types twist themselves up trying to rationalize rejecting Jesus, they demand that us Christians do it too. Maybe we ought to call this Hell's Gonna Be Rough Day. Our reading for today is Genesis 35, 1-36, 43, Matthew 12, 1-21, Psalm 15, 1-5, and Proverbs 3, 21-26. So if y'all are ready, come with me if you want to live. But before we get to the reading, let's me and the squad do a review of yesterday's study. Okay, yesterday, on the 16th, in the Old Testament, we read Genesis 32:13 through 34:31. So Jake and Laban split up, and Jake heads home. And he's got angels protecting him, but he's still worried about his brother Esau, who also wants to kill him. So he decides to give him a gift of 200 she-goats, and 20 he-goats, and 200 ewes, and 20 rams, and 30 milk camels with their colts, 40 kine, and 10 bulls, 20 she-asses, and 10 foals. And he tells his servants, give these to my brother and tell him I want to bury the hatchet. Then that night he sends all his wives and children away and he's left there alone. And here's what the Bible says next. And Jacob was left alone and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him, and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. So there's two things you can always expect from the experts. 
One, they never know anything for sure, and B, they never agree with each other, and that's the case here. Some experts say Jacob wrestled with God. Other experts say, no, God could have took him. It must have been an angel. (laughs) And still other experts say an angel could have took him too. Yeah. But it probably never happened anyway. Here's what I think. I think Jacob had been wrestling with God his entire life for a hundred reasons. I mean, when God, your dad, and your grandpa are all three counting on you to fulfill this grand destiny, but you know all you are is just a scheming little heel catcher, and all you want to do is cheat people out of their cattle, and then your twin brother wants to kill you, and your father-in-law wants to kill you, and your four wives don't like each other, and are always on your back about the kids, it's easy to see how Jacob could start to feel like Tippy Hedron in the birds, and how he might have some doubts. <laughs> so I'm inclined to think this was a vision, and whether he wrestled with God or an angel, whoever it was obviously let him win. Because the whole event was symbolic of Jake's spiritual struggles and his coming to believe in his destiny, which is probably what God was waiting on for him to have faith. Now we can get started with the nation building thing. And the dislocated hip is a physical reminder that just because this was a vision don't mean it wasn't real. And that's when he gets his new name, like his grandpa did. The name Israel can be translated, he who striveth with God, or he who persevereth. Or it might be associated with the word Siar, which means prince. And both ideas could be combined in the name Israel as the princely wrestler with God. And Peniel is from two words, Pen and El, which mean the face of God. And from now on in the Bible, both the names Jacob and Israel are used to refer to him. And if you'll notice, when he's in the spirit or doing right by God, he's called Israel. And when he's in the flesh, he's called Jacob. So in chapter 33, the next thing that happens is, Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came, and with him four hundred men. And he divided the children unto Leah and unto Rachel and unto the two handmaids. So he must have connected back up with them somewhere. But Esau ran up to him and hugged him and kissed him and did not kill anybody. And he introduces his family to him, and Esau's like, I'm wealthy, I don't need your gift, you keep it. But Jake insists, and Esau accepts, because the acceptance of a gift is equivalent to striking a covenant of friendship. If your present is received by your superior, then you're good. If not, you're in trouble. And they talk it over and they work out a place for Jacob to live near the land of Seir where Esau lived. And Jacob built houses and stables on his land and called that place Sukoth, which means booths. And he bought some land from his neighbor Hamor, Shechem's father, and built an altar and named it El Elohe Israel, which means God is the God of Israel. So Jake's committed now, apparently. And in chapter 34, some time has passed. And Jake's daughter Dinah has grown up enough to go off to town on her own, which she does after they get settled in, to see the daughters of the land, to find some girlfriends, I guess. And I'd assume there were other daughters in the family, and she was only mentioned by name because of what happens next, but maybe she was the only girl and was tired of being surrounded by all these boys. But anyway, going out without a bodyguard was a bad move, because when Shechem the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and defiled her. The Benson commentary says that the Hebrew words used indicate this was violent and she resisted, but I think there may be some debate about that among the experts. Afterward, this nutcase gets all obsessed with her. Verse 3 says, And his soul clave unto Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the damsel, and spake kindly unto the damsel. And Shechem spake unto his father Hamor, saying, Get me this damsel to wife. And by this point, Jacob's heard what happened. So he keeps his mouth shut and gathers all his sons together in the field where they can have some privacy. And this must have been a prearranged meeting because here comes Hamor, who I don't think had a clue what was going on. 
He probably thought he was there to negotiate for a bride. But Jake's about mad as mad can get and had been scheming with the brothers. And Hamor's like, I got no problems with our tribes intermarrying and we'll all be one big happy family. I ain't even worried about dowries. Of course, Jake can't agree to that. Hamor's a Canaanite and marrying up with them's against the rules. But the brothers said, yeah, we can do that, but y'all got to get circumcised. See, our religion forbids uncircumcised males, and it'll be like a whole big thing, so why don't you just go ahead and do it, and then we're good. Shechem and Hamor are like, deal, go get the scissors. And so was every other man in town, thus proving men will do anything you tell them if you end the sentence with, and then you get women. (laughs) So they did, and every man in town got snipped. So after these guys had been suffering for about three days, and were sore and walking funny, and it hurt to pee, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brethren, took each man his sword and came upon the city boldly and killed Hamor and Shechem and every man they could find and hauled Dinah back home, which seems a bit disproportionate to me, but they were mad. And if they had just killed Shechem, the rest of those guys would have gone to war with them, so I guess best nip this in the bud right now. And why was it just Simeon and Levi? They were Dinah's full brothers. It was their place to do that. And the rest of the brothers came in after and spoiled the city. Jake, however, wasn't really happy with this because he figured this would bring all the other Canaanite tribes down on him. Far as killing the whole town was concerned, he was cool with that. He was just worried that he can't defend against an army. But verse 31, the brother's answer to that was, should he deal with our sister as an harlot? So basically they're saying they'd do it again and sleep like a baby. And I'm going to stay out of the who was right and who was wrong argument except to repeat my rule number one, which is don't start nothing, won't be nothing. And Chuck Missler points out that God used another Simeon and Levi as instruments of his judgment in Second Kings, but we'll get to that later. And I have an observation. There's nothing spectacular about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob except for God. God blessed them because he said he would. If God can use these flawed, non-exceptional imperfect specimens of humanity to bring the blessing back into the earth, he can certainly use us. And Jacob, the self-serving deceiver, gets to wrestle with the angel. The deceiver finds honest power with God and gets a new identity. Power with God marked by a limp. That looks like it's another one of those divine contradictions that I like so much. And in the New Testament, we read Matthew eleven seven through 30 And Jesus' cousin John is in prison and was having doubts. So he sent two disciples to get some reassurance from Jesus, which he gives, but decides to make this a teachable moment for the crowd. And he asked the crowd, when y'all went out to see my cousin, what was it you thought you were going to see? Some unstable man like a reed in the wind? Or a man clothed in soft raiment like some wealthy fop that hangs out in king's houses, bossing people around and never doing a day's work? No, y'all went to see a prophet, and that's what you saw, because that's what he is. And more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. So John's a big deal, apparently, which Jesus confirms. He says, Among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And all the experts disagree on what he was talking about here, too. It might have something to do with the fact that John wasn't in heaven yet, or how John was the last of the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament outranks the Old Testament, but y'all can work all that out. I'll just say, anytime you read something you don't understand, that's an X that marks a spot, so stop there and start digging. 
And verse 12 says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. And I think when he says the days of John the Baptist, he's referring to the entire Old Testament period. And when he says until now, he means from now on. Because that's true. The kingdom of heaven under the Old Testament suffered violence. And the kingdom in the church age also suffers violence. But he goes on and says, And if ye will receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come, which was prophesied in Micah. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And Mistler points out that sin comes in through the eyes in the sense that we tend to covet what we see, but the word of God comes in through the ears in the sense that faith cometh by hearing. And I like that, but it's a little too poetic to hang any real doctrine on. Then Jesus starts scolding people. He says, But whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, We have piped unto you, and ye have not danced. We have mourned unto you, and ye have not lamented. It's pride, basically. He's saying, Why won't you pay attention to us? And then he says, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he hath a devil. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. And there's your hypocrisy. There's no winning with them worldly types. Like, watch the mainstream media. If their side burns down Portland for 70 weeks straight, it's a peaceful protest. But if a handful of Christians gather outside an abortion clinic, all of a sudden we need to outlaw free speech. But anyway, then he began to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not, like Chorazin and Bethsaida. He said, if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, shall be brought down to hell. For if the works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. It shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. And Sodom had it pretty bad. And verse 25 says, At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. And he's talking about the Pharisees that are already so smart, they don't need no low-rent carpenter from a ghetto town like Nazareth telling them anything. Fortunately, the poor, the ignorant, and the simple, and the humble, they're all still teachable. And he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And this is not to be interpreted that if you come to Jesus, your life will get easier. Because it won't. Usually life is harder for Christians. Mostly in other countries, but in America too a little bit. He's talking about freedom from sin. He's about to perform a huge act of forgiveness that gives everybody access to the Father in heaven. Something the Pharisees could never do. Nor wanted to do. The very idea that people like their yard man could go to the same heaven as them was a big part of why they rejected Jesus as the Messiah in the first place. I love these verses. Verses 25 through 29. Jesus has a conversation with God. And then he turns to us. He turns to the people and he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load is light. We wear a yoke. So which will it be? His or not his? Who or what drives us? I mean, we do have to serve somebody. That's our design. That's what Bob Dylan said. <laughs> but you know where he got it, right? The Bible. Did he? Yeah. That Bible's something else. <laughs> and then in Psalms, we read Psalm 14, 1 through 7. And that's another Psalm of David. 
And verse 1 says, The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. And that's really all you got to say. That's the big idea here. There's your mic drop. And the whole rest of the psalm is David dog cussing the wicked people who claim to be of God. It's actually kind of awesome, and I'm tempted to read the whole thing again. So the Lord is looking for those that seek him, and he's finding us. We're seeking him in his word right now. And in Proverbs, we read Proverbs 3, 19 and 20. And that says, The Lord by wisdom hath founded the earth. By understanding hath he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths are broken up, and the clouds drop down the dew. And that's straight up creationism. Not only that, but he's the one who maintains it all. And in the context of this chapter, he's holding up wisdom as a high, if not the highest virtue. Because it's by wisdom that God did everything. And Solomon would hold wisdom in high regard, smart guy that he was. I think we can say that understanding gives wisdom life. What is the earth without the heavens or heavens without the earth? What is possible in the earth versus the impossibilities of the heavens? It is possible to have wisdom, to know how to use knowledge, without the understanding of what we know, to pull it all together. Evidence of faith is what we do in or with it. But that's the end of our review of yesterday's study. Thanks for your help, babe. Our reading in the Old Testament for January 17th is Genesis 35:1 through 36:43. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God, that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments. And let us arise, and go up to Bethel. And I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand, and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them. And they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, he and all the people that were with him. And he built there an altar, and called the place Elbethel, because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. But Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak. And the name of it was called Alon Makuth. And God appeared unto Jacob again when he came out of Padanaram and blessed him. And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed after thee will I give the land. And God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stone. And he poured a drink offering thereon. And he poured oil thereon. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him Bethel. And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath. And Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. And it came to pass, when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni. But his father called him Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar upon her grave, that is, the pillar of Rachel's grave, unto this day. And Israel journeyed and spread his tent beyond the tower of Edar. 
And it came to pass, when Israel dwelt in that land, that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah his father's concubine, and Israel heard it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve, the sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and Simeon and Levi, and Judah, and Issachar, and Zebulun, the sons of Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin, and the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's handmaid, Dan and Naphtali, and the sons of Zilpah, Leah's handmaid, Gad and Asher. These are the sons of Jacob, which were born to him in Padanaram. And Jacob came unto Isaac his father unto Mamre, unto the city of Arba, which is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac sojourned. And the days of Isaac were an hundred and fourscore years. And Isaac gave up the ghost and died, and was gathered unto his people, being old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Chapter 36 Now these are the generations of Esau who is Edom. Esau took his wives of the daughters of Canaan, Ada, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and Aholabamah, the daughter of Anna, the daughter of Zibion the Hivite, and Bashamath, Ishmael's daughter, sister of Nebajoth. And Ada bare to Esau Eliphaz, and Bashamath bare Reuel, and Aholabamah bare Jeush and Jaalam, and Korah. These are the sons of Esau, which were born unto him in the land of Canaan. And Esau took his wives, and his sons, and his daughters, and all the persons of his house, and his cattle, and all his beasts, and all his substance which he had got in the land of Canaan, and went into the country from the face of his brother Jacob. For their riches were more than that they might dwell together, and the land wherein they were strangers could not bear them because of their cattle. Thus dwelt Esau in Mount Seir. Esau is Edom. And these are the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites, in Mount Seir. These are the names of Esau's sons. Eliphaz, the son of Adah, the wife of Esau. Reuel, the son of Bashamath, the wife of Esau. And the sons of Eliphaz were Teman, Omar, Zepho, and Gotham, and Kenaz. And Timnah was concubine to Eliphaz, Esau's son. And she bare to Eliphaz Amalek. These were the sons of Adah, Esau's wife. And these are the sons of Reuel, Nahath, and Zerah, Shammah, and Mizah. These were the sons of Bashamath, Esau's wife. And these were the sons of Aholabamah, the daughter of Anna, the daughter of Zibion, Esau's wife. And she bare to Esau Jeush, and Jaalam, and Korah. These were the dukes of the sons of Esau, the sons of Eliphaz, the firstborn son of Esau, Duke Teman, Duke Omar, Duke Zepho, Duke Kenaz, Duke Korah, Duke Gadam, and Duke Amalek. These are the dukes that came of Eliphaz in the land of Edom, and these were the sons of Adah. And these are the son of Reuel, Esau's son, Duke Nahath, Duke Zerah, Duke Shammah, Duke Mizah. These are the dukes that came of Reuel in the land of Edom. These are the sons of Bashamath, Esau's wife. And these are the sons of Aholabamah, Esau's wife, Duke Jeush, Duke Jaalam, Duke Korah. These were the dukes that came of Aholabamah, the daughter of Anna, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Esau, who is Edom, and these are their dukes. These are the sons of Seir the Horite, who inhabited the land, Lotan and Shobal, and Zibion and Anna, and Dishan and Ezer, and Dishan. These are the dukes of the Horites, the children of Seir in the land of Edom. And the children of Lotan were Hori and Hemam, and Lotan's sister was Timnah, and the children of Shobal were these, Alvan, and Manahath, and Ebal, Shepho, and Onam, and these are the children of Zibion, both Aja and Anna. This was that Anna that found the mules in the wilderness as he fed the asses of Zibion his father, and the children of Anna were these, Dishan, and Aholabama, the daughter of Anna, and these are the children of Dishan, Hemdan, and Eshban, and Ithran, and Cheran. The children of Ezer are these, Bilhan and Zaavan and Achan. The children of Dishan are these, Uz and Aran. These are the dukes that came of the Horites, Duke Lotan, Duke Shobal, Duke Zibion, Duke Anna.
Duke Dishon, Duke Ezer, Duke Dishan. These are the dukes that came of Horai among their dukes in the land of Seir. And these are the kings that reigned in the land of Edom before there reigned any king over the children of Israel. And Bala, the son of Baor, reigned in Edom. And the name of his city was Denhaba. And Bala died, and Jobab the son of Zerah of Basra reigned in his stead. And Jobab died, and Husham of the land of Tamani reigned in his stead. And Husham died, and Hadad the son of Bedad, who smote Midian in the field of Moab, reigned in his stead. And the name of his city was Avith. And Hadad died, and Samla of Masrekah reigned in his stead. And Samla died, and Saul of Rehoboth by the river reigned in his stead. And Saul died, and Baalhanan the son of Achbor reigned in his stead. And Baalhanan the son of Achbor died, and Hadar reigned in his stead. And the name of his city was Peu, and his wife's name was Mehetabel, the daughter of Matred, the daughter of Mezahab. And these are the names of the dukes that came of Esau, according to their families, after their places, by their names. Duke Timna, Duke Alva, Duke Jetheth, Duke Aholabama, Duke Elah, Duke Pinon, Duke Kenaz, Duke Teman, Duke Mibzar, Duke Magdiel, Duke Iram. These be the dukes of Edom, according to their habitations in the land of their possession. He is Esau, the father of the Edomites. Our reading in the New Testament for January 17th is Matthew 12, 1-21. At that time Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were unhungered, and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. But he said unto them, Have ye not read what David did when he was unhungered, and they that were with him? how he entered into the house of God, and did eat of the shewbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests. Or have ye not read in the law, how that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath, and are blameless? But I say unto you, that in this place is one greater than the temple. But if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, ye would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day." And when he was departed thence, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days, that they might accuse him? And he said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep? And if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. Then saith he to the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole like as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him, how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all, and charged them that they should not make him known, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall shew judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory, and in his name shall the Gentiles trust. Our reading in Psalms for January 17th is Psalm 15, 1-5. A Psalm of David Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly, and worketh righteousness, and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is condemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. 
He that sweareth to his own hurt, and changeth not. He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. Our reading in Proverbs for January 17th is Proverbs 3, 21-26. My son, let not them depart from thine eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So shall they be life unto thy soul, and grace unto thy neck. Then shalt thou walk in thy way safely, and thy foot shall not stumble. When thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Yea, thou shalt lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet. Be not afraid of sudden fear, neither the desolation of the wicked when it cometh. For the Lord shall be thy confidence, and shall keep thy foot from being taken. And that's it for the 17th. All right, y'all, let's do our 30-second meditation. Today's prayer is on 1 Corinthians 15, 19, which says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. So hit the 30-second back button on your podcast player a few times and meditate with me for a little while on seeing things from God's point of view, because prayer is the heavy artillery in the armor of God. So if you're ready, let's go. Father God, from our carnal perspective, it's far too easy to lose sight of what's truly important. We get far too wrapped up in worldly things like politics, as if Christ died to put our idols in the White House. But we know, Father, that you want us to see things from your eternal perspective. And while human government is important in the world, the world is not important to eternity. Help us to remember that our mandate is always to win souls for your kingdom and not worldly glory for ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. That's all the Bible yallin' I got for you tonight. Thank you, Father, for letting us study your word and for the gift of salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. Please bless and keep everybody listening and let this podcast be helpful to them in some kind of way. Amen. You can find us on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon, Google CastBox, and Facebook. If you like what we're doing and you want to support it, what I really need you to do is to pray for me and Bible Y'all Squaw and all our friends and family. And if you got anything you want us to pray for you about, email me at BibleYallPodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, just go on out and try to make the world a better place. And if you ain't going to make things any better, just don't make them any worse. Thanks, everybody, and God bless y'all. Hey, Bible, y'all. Twenty she-asses and ten foals. And it occurs to me that's a lot of manure.